strategies, you'll have the info you need to get more for your future. Go to aceyourretirement.org because when it comes to speeding past financial challenges, you're an ace. Brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Well, good morning and welcome to Saturday in the Studio. I'm Tom King, and look at this. It's Merle Kelch, the world traveler, joining us live in the studio today. It is me, live. I am here. Did you miss me, brother? Oh, absolutely. Uh, We talked about a lot of things while you were gone, and the market had two great weeks. In fact, two of the best weeks they've had in a long time, so obviously you need to go back to Africa. It was because of my clean living. I said a couple prayers when I left, and... And hopefully that helped out quite a bit. We'll see. 715-845-2155, the number to call. If you have a question for Merle regarding your investment portfolio, today's the day to get it answered. So what uh, I, I would imagine in the midst of all of your traveling in South Africa, you were able to catch up on the news from here, is the financial news. What do you think caused the market to behave the way it did? I mean, the, uh, the Fed raised the interest rates and... Um, I think everybody expected that to happen, but the market didn't seem to care. The market had uh, two really good weeks. Well, you know, what's kind of interesting is I've I had many conversations with people um, in, regard, in regards to the perspective of what's going on with the market, the economy, the pandemic. Uh, their perspectives are a lot different. I mean, everybody, see, everybody over there seems to be looking to the West or primarily the U.S. for some sort of answers on things. And so um, it's interesting. But uh, they, like we do, tend to have the same belief as many as, you know, we got to get some oil and gas pumping out of the United States to help them curb the in- inflationary risk. And I think that's going to be uh, true coming up. But you know, the easiest way I can look at this, folks, is that, um, and, and this is my perspective on it, is, you know, right now today, the market is trying to determine what the price should be for XYZ, ABC, XIJ, whatever the, the company or the stock might be. And it's having a difficult time determining what the price is because if you go to get to a a stock pricing model that has, you know, how much is a riskless investment for an interest rate, and that'd be, you know, for example, a 30-day U.S. note, and um, how much is for, you know, future projections of income, and, and we're looking at, and that's the part that we don't know yet. It's difficult to project what the particular profit might be or the dividends of a stock because we don't know where the economy is necessarily going, and really it's primarily because of two things, and that's, of course, interest rates, uh, a.k.a. inflation. You know, where's, where's inflation going in? What's happening inside of the Russia and the Ukraine thing? So those unknowns, it's difficult then for us to say on this particular stock, where do we think it's going to be in six months or a year or two years down the road? And as a result of that then, um, we're looking at it saying, well, how can we then determine where that stock is, all the stocks, the index, the S&P 500, the, the Dow? And so we're seeing that volatility. So when we saw the interest rates then go up, it takes that one component, that inflation, that interest rate, and it stabilizes a little bit. It says, oh, okay, interest rates truly are going to go up. So hopefully we're going to see some sort of reprieve of inflation coming up at some point in time. And that tend to then act as people said, okay, that seems to be working its way out. Um, so let's concentrate on what's happening with the profitability of these individual, com- individual companies. And now we're seeing that starting to drive the marketplace up. That, in, a, in, in addition to the huge amount of cash that's floating around out there looking for something to buy, um, is one of the reasons I think we saw such uh, you know two nice weeks in a row. I, mean, uh, went up I saw I saw a headline on CNBC, and I think it speaks on what you're talking about here. It says the stock market appears to be starting to believe the Fed might pull off a soft landing, uh, and uh, I guess that means the slow raising of interest rates to battle inflation is not going to royal the market, so that there are the big ups and downs, mostly downs, that we would see in a normal situation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, see how smart that professional writer is. 
He was listening to you. Is that what you're suggesting? Yeah. Yeah, many people should. Life would be a lot easier. You know? uh, and you agree that uh, it looks like there will be a soft landing, that we're not going to see some major disruption? At this particular point in time, it seems to be so. You know, I, I read an article this morning where there's an economist saying, and, and it's our, our friends, Brian Westbury, um, out of Chicago, and they said, you know, they'd rather just see the Federal Reserve coming up in May just increase interest rates 2% one shot and get ahead of the curve on inflation. The Fed is behind the curve. I mean, they're, they're behind. They need to go ahead. Um, and his math shows that they could do two percent of one shot and still not have an effect in what's going on with the economy. He said, though, we're going to probably see that we would see the equity markets take a gigantic, gigantic shock as a result of it. But, but well, that, that's what they don't far. want it to have yeah, happen. They don't right? want to have the shock, correct? So I, th- I think we need to go up. And you know, I said it before, folks, when we went up the uh, quarter of a percent here a few weeks ago, I wish it would have went a half. And I hope that they go a half and maybe a half after that too to try to get ahead of inflation, get it quelled down. But the biggest thing is. We we got to get some uh, some some new wells drilled and, and put out there, and and so and it looks like um, uh, and, and cheers to Senator Manchin for saying you know do your damn job to the energy secretary. It looks like now we're starting to get some uh, permits released. I want to talk about that though because there was a survey done by the Dallas office of the Federal Reserve. I don't know if you saw this this week. Mm-hmm. Um, they 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 uh, did a survey of major gas and oil executives from all of the major companies. And they asked them the question, who, who is at fault for the situation uh, with gas prices right now and, the, and the, the lack of inventory? And I think the answer might have surprised a few people. Now, obviously, the Republicans blame the Biden administration. The Biden administration said it's the oil companies not using the leases they have or it's the Russian, you know, you know, stopping the Russian oil from coming in. The oil and gas executives of all of the major companies, only 10 percent suggested it was the current administration the majority of them said it was their own investors who were telling them not to raise the inventory to keep the prices high now if you are an executive of an oil company and obviously the executives of any major company's job is to make money for your investors if your investors are telling you they don't want you to do something and it helps the bottom line but it hurts the yeah. country, where do you stand on a decision-making process there? You know, first of all, if I own the companies, I'd fire all those major executives. You know, the 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 the, the benefit, uh, I'm sorry, I shouldn't say the benefit, but the job as me as a manager of a company is to make sure that I'm furthering this company as profitable as possible as time goes. So you can do things in the short term to make sure your, your stock price is up. Um, but if it allows you, or if it um, cost you not being able to continue to further that company because you've made short-term decisions that shoot you in the long term, um, you should be fired. Um, we just simply have to ask Warren Buffett about this because he's always made decisions long-term, um, even though the, the guy's in his 90s at this particular point in time, he's still making decisions long-term for his company. Um, and, and so that should be the case. And so if we're being short-sighted and saying, well, we're going to keep the prices up, but you're not getting all your permitting and your drills and wells and everything else done, uh, to drop prices or to fuel uh, later on, um, there's something wrong with you in, in, in as far as the job goes. So if their investors are saying we need to keep the prices up, well, that's one thing, but you should still have them getting your permitting, your drilling, your wells, and everything drilled. You can turn them on at another time, um, but but that's just uh, short-sighted on my part. Now, if that's the case, shame on them, but we still have to get the permits out. When you talk about Warren Buffett, he had a uh, there was a story this week that uh, – Berkshire Hathaway made a huge investment in, in a, I think it's an oil company, um, yeah, bil- billions of dollars. Yeah. And someone suggested, of course, on Twitter, some cynic suggested on Twitter that even Warren Buffett wouldn't put billions of dollars into a company without some quote-unquote information going forward. 
uh, about the viability of that company going forward. Uh, so obviously, the people in the know think that this is going to be viable as an investment down the road, the oil industry. You know, the one thing I got to say about Warren, Warren Buffett's machine is Warren Buffett telegraphs exactly what he does, and he just, when he does it, he does it very well. When he looks at buying a company, going right down to uh, Dairy Queen and Orange Julius, he likes to go in companies that have a good profit margin and are very well run. Um, and have some future sustainability in whatever industry they have. And then they dig into the details more than anything I've ever heard from anybody else. So they would have dug into this company, not on insider information, but they would have known how the company runs, the people that are in place, is it in good shape, what do we have to do to make it better, can we make it better. He would have done all his homework on that. So aside from uh, you know the person on the Internet says he must know something, well, no, they bought a company that was well-run, doing a good job, they could get a good price on that's what Warren Buffett does. So what's your take as far as the energy sector right now as an investment as part of uh, someone's portfolio? Um, I think it's fantastic. Uh, you have to have some energy sector in here. You know, aside from everybody who thinks that the fossil fuels are going away, uh, you're wrong. They're not. How we use them might differ, but they're not going away. Um, Eventually they're going away. No, no, they can't. It's can't. impossible to have fossil fuels go away, Tom. It really is. Um, as I'm, I'm looking at you right now. So all of those science fiction movies and books we've seen over the years uh, are lying to us? They're not going away. <laughs> They're not going away. So, Tom, I'm, I'm looking at you right now. And aside from your dashing damn good looks, mm -hmm. I'm looking at your hat. I'm looking at your headphones. I'm looking at your shirt. All of them contain plastics. Plastics all come from fossil fuels and oil. But plastics are going away at some point, too. Maybe. But tell me when. I mean, I, I can foresee some sort of a plastic or a polymer not going away. It's certainly not going away in our lifetime or our grandkids' lifetimes. It's not going to be gone. And so all along the way, we still have to continue to drill for oil and suck off the liquids from natural gas when it's coming up out of the ground. It's going to be part of our life. How we use it might differ. You know, so do we continue to use it inside of running an internal combustion position, uh, engine? Maybe not. You know, and I'm what, I'll tell you what, folks, I'd be the first person to say, boy, I'd love to have it so that I can go into a vehicle and it's not burning any natural gas or burning any sort of a gas or fossil fuel. And putting, I'd love to have that happen. Who wouldn't? Um, but the thing is, is that, you know, the, the things that make components of the engine of the car are probably still going to come out of an oil well at some particular point in time. I mean, it's just a, a natural place to be. It's going to be that or we're having to make it out of some sort of the metals unless we're going to somehow make plastics and all that sort of stuff out of, you know, bamboo shoots. Maybe, well, maybe maybe Fred Flintstone had the right idea, you know, wood <laughs> well, and, you and, and stone you still left for his car. It, <laughs> all right, 715-845-2155 is the recall here. If you have a question. It's the right thing to do. Imagine what you can make possible by leaving behind the gift of life. Learn more and sign up as an organ, eye, and tissue donor. Go to organdonor.gov. A message from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Health Resources and Services Administration. And we're back here in the studio. I'm Tom King, Merle Kelch, Kelch & Associates in Wausau. Let's go to the phone this morning. Good morning. Who are we talking to? This is Josh. Hey, Josh. You're on with Merle. Go ahead. Morning, Josh. Morning. I got a question for you. Um, a, a friend of mine worked for a company for 20 years, approximately, and it was kind of a regional company around here. And then it got bought out, got bought out, got bought out, and it's now owned by a national company that trades on the NYSE. I don't know. Can I use the the name of the company or not? Sure, go ahead. Uh, it's Kroger. Kroger. Okay. And so they're trading like at $56 and change right now, and she passed away. And her husband has been getting the money out, trying to get the money out of what was she, – she bought stock in the company over the years. Mm -hmm. And she's got – it's quite a sizable investment. And 
he said that they are offering him X amount of dollars. And I said, no, that's not right because the, tra- the stock is trading at like 56. And he said, no. And he went into like their employee compensation website or whatever it is. And he said, see, it's trading at 24. And I said, no, it's not. And he said, well, that's what they're offering is $24 a share. Mm-hmm. And so, so is there, because she bought into this as a, you know, a stock match, you know, through the years and such like that, is there a difference in the price of the stock that they are offering their employees versus what's traded on the public market? You you have about four different questions in there, so let me let me back them up one at a time. Sure. So there's the possibility she's getting a, he she was getting a discounted price of the stock in the purchase of it. So in number of instances, for example, there's a couple of other um, uh, big companies around here that if you buy their stock through your um, uh, 401k or through their vesting program, a program that they have, um, you get like an immediate 15% discount on the stock, but you have to keep it for a certain period of time, whether it's six months or a year. And then at that point in time, you can sell it at full price. So okay. there may be some sort of a schedule in here um, with a stock that if she buys a stock at a discounted price within the program that she had, um, that she has ha- would have had to have kept it inside of that program for you know six months, one year, two years. I mean, what, whichever they, they uh, have set up inside of the program. And I, I'm guessing that's probably it. Um, because the second thing would be is, is vesting is, as far as, uh, you know, you have to work at a company for a certain period of time. But if she had been there for so long, um, that, that certainly would not have been the case. Um, the other part of that, too, is, is, is he's had something to do with some option connections. Because usually options, they have to be inside of a money before you can sell them or something of that nature. And I'm uh-huh. guessing that one of these would be the reason that he's getting the offer of the lesser price of what the market is actually at. So I don't okay. think doing I, anything to, to so screw I, around with it's them. Not, I think it's, it's, not, it's not in his best interest then to sell them at this point at 24, maybe the is best it? interest is simply wait the period of time um, until this uh, you know matures or this reduction drops off. And so I, I'm guessing that's what it is. Without seeing it in front of me, I can't explain it, but I'm, I'm guessing that's what it is. Okay. Does that All help? Right. I'll, I, it might. I'll talk to him again All this right. week, yeah. and, and we'll see what he says. All right. Thanks yeah, for I mean, the call. Appreciate some, it. If you have some documents on that. I'd be happy to help. This is some of the stuff that I do, and I'd be happy to do it, of course, um, uh, pro bono, just to try to give him some answers so he's not guessing um, on this stuff. And we can and and he, the he can come and visit you at yeah, your yeah, office. And, yeah. and, and, and please stop in. But you're going to have to get a hold of the original documents or ask the company if they can show the documents um, why they're showing such a lesser price, and I can help explain that to you. All right, 715-845-2155, the number to call here. You know, we were talking before the break about uh, the raising of interest rates in order to battle inflation, and, of course, that's a positive thing when you talk about inflation being lowered, but of course there's a, a negative for every positive, and one of the negatives of rising interest rates is uh, the mortgage rates are going up. And mortgage rates are going um, up. Yeah. Is the is the housing boom over at this point in time? I don't know. Um, article uh, this morning that I was reading is existing home sales are down 4.1 percent, um, and and those send, seem, seem to be slowing a little bit. I mean, so, for a while so we'll there, see. you could sell yeah. your house for well over whatever the uh, whatever the uh, yeah, pri- yeah. you know the uh, and, and tax price. It was, was a it. big housing boom. Yeah, um, and every like, booms like that, they come back to some sort of normalcy eventually. We might be seeing the the start of that um, as far as uh, the boom goes. But I told my wife we missed it. That if we were going to sell right. our house, uh, we we missed the opportunity. Was she going to sell it? Uh, I'm interested. She's not. So uh-huh. that, okay. we're, we're, having, we're having those discussions. Were you going to live point. in a van down by the river? <laughs> well, that, that would be okay with me. I don't, I don't know about her, but yeah. 
Well, you know, so we'll see what happens with real estate prices. But, you know, interest rates still are enormously low. If we look at interest rates, Tom, from you and I first started looking at houses back in the uh, – you know, the, the 80s and that kind of stuff, late 80s and early 90s, interest rates today are still exceptionally low. And so I don't see that being an issue for somebody who wants to buy a house. But they're not at that, you know, crazy, uh, crazy 3% or uh, sub 3% rate anymore. That's not going to be the case. So we'll see. So the interest rates will go up. Now, the other price of this is, is that the interest rates going up, of course, drop bond prices. And, and the bond prices, we're seeing some bond portfolios that we have for clients are down some 7 and 8% in price. So you look at it and say, well, geez, that might be terrible. Well, we don't buy the, the bonds for the price. We buy the bonds for the income stream. Um, and in that, uh, it just simply means that bond prices are getting closer to having some normalcy when you start looking at bonds. And by the way, folks, when, when things tend to go hell in a handbasket in the stock market, which we could argue maybe is or isn't there anymore, um, money tends to start flowing into the bond marketplace a little bit better. And if we get a better price at it, it might be time for us that are looking around for bonds, especially in the municipal part where we can get some guarantees for interest and principal. Um, that market might be opening up. Now, um, I've been fighting jet lag for the last couple of days, so I have not been really working hard much at the office without falling asleep at 11 o'clock <laughs> in the afternoon. How do you know what is a good municipal bond and one is a one is a, a, a kind of a dodgy municipal bond? What do you look at for a good quality municipal bond? Well, you know, that's just a, it's such a great question. Um, you know, municipal bonds, like anything else, you have to look at where are they. Um, you know, we bought for our clients the De- city of Detroit bond, municipal bonds when the city of Detroit Detroit was going broke, and I've had people say, "Well, why did you do that?" I said, "Well, because one." Um, we bought the bonds that had something to it. We bought the water bonds. We have to have water. Of course, shortly after that, then all the water was poisoned. Mm. So, that was Flint, um, but yeah, yeah, I get but, your point. But they, yeah, but yeah, they yeah. get the revenue. they got okay. the, yeah. to pay the water bill. Whether you can drink it or not, well, that's up to them, but you still have to be able to bathe and flush and all that sort of thing. Um, but more importantly, they get the tax revenue, and so these bonds had to be paid from the revenue of paying the water bill. The second part of it is we bought them at such a discounted price that we really bought them right. Um, and then finally, they had a strong reinsurance company that guaranteed the principal and the interest. So I was just chatting about this recently with somebody. I think we bought them. Um, you know, we bought them through several clients. I think we paid somewhere like 77 to, to 85, which <clears throat> think about bonds, Tom, in the form of a percentage. So 100% is what you get back at the maturity. And so you're buying them as a percentage of that. And so 100% means you bought them at par. And so we're buying them at, you know, 77, 85 and then finally, the city of, of uh, Detroit said, well, um, w- we got to make sure that this stuff stays in place and we don't go broke. We need to have water. And so they bought them all out at 98. So not only did we make some 5% tax-free insured, but we also got 98% when they bought all the bonds back again. And, and so we haven't seen a lot of that because the prices as of the last several years here have been at not 100%, but these same similar types of bonds. They've been at 110, 117. Well, when they mature, we get 100. So you're buying them at such a high premium, it just doesn't make any sense to do that. Yeah. So you look for high-quality stuff. I want stuff that's insured for principal and interest. Um, I love st- company. I, I love municipalities that build a sinking fund, which means they're putting separate money away to make sure that cash is there to pay it rather than reissuing a new bond, which is what most municipalities do. Um, and then I want to, if I can, I want to make sure it has some sort of a revenue base to pay for it um, other than simply the taxes from the current uh, area. So, for example, if you go to a um, educational bond or a school board bond, that's paid for by just the general tax and revenue of the, of the municipality that it is. I'm not a big fan of those. I like the water bonds. Are there any bonds around here bonds. that you would be interested in, uh, in not know, only in our area but in the state of Wisconsin, say? The, the Brewer bonds, if you remember them, they called them the Brewer bonds. Right. The southeast, uh, mm-hmm. southeast for, Wisconsin. For Miller Park, yeah, 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 yeah. Great bleeding bonds. I mean, we were getting – 
I think we're getting yield at like 5.3%. And folks, and I haven't seen these in years. So, I mean, you can look for them if you want, but I haven't seen them in years. We're getting 5.3% uh, double tax-free, so federal and state tax-free, insured. Um, but you had to buy them in minimum $100,000 blocks. You couldn't buy them anything smaller. Well, that takes out the average I investor. Saw, yeah, I saw them like three or four years ago. They broke them up into 50s. Um, but but I haven't seen them in a long, long time. So um, those were great because we're backed by the tax on the county to pay for the bonds directly. Remember the what was it a tenth of a percent tax that they put yeah. in there? So. Uh, had all the stuff that I liked in a, in a municipal bond. Which they traded for some discounted prices on brewer tickets uh, for those counties that were involved in those brewer bonds. They got they got yeah. some freebies uh, as far as tickets go during uh, during the early Perfect. parts of the season. Yeah. <laughs> all right, we need to take a break for some news. We'll come back with more. If you have a question for Merle, give us a call. We'll be right back on WSAU. Hunger in your community? Visit feedingamerica.org. Brought to you by Feeding America and the Ad Council. Make friends, have fun, know what's happening in the area, engage with local, national, and worldwide service projects, and meet new people every week. Those are just some of the benefits of membership in the Wausau Early Birds Rotary Club. I'm President Jim Warsaw. For more information about attending a Thursday 7 a.m. meeting and learning more about Rotary, contact me at jimwarsaw at hotmail.com. The Wausau Early Birds Rotary Club thanks Midwest Communications for making this announcement possible. And we're back here in the studio. I'm Tom King, along with Merle Kelch, Kelch & Associates in Wausau. Phone lines are open, 715-845-2155, if you have a question about your portfolio. And uh, you've got some information about what some people are doing with their portfolio portfolios these days in these uh, uncertain times. Well, there's a couple things. There's an article that's out here, and it, it mentions one, and then there's another article, but it mentions it in this one, too. I'll save them both. But it's a... It's just simply a weekend summary of what occurred. Stock market investors should watch this part of the yield curve for the best leading indicators in trouble ahead by Joy um, Weathermuth. At least I think I'm saying that right. And, and one of them is what's called the yield curve. And so the yield curve we've talked about before, but it tends to give an indicator um, of what could occur in the marketplace. It's not direct. It's not an absolute. But it tends to give an indicator. And that is that if interest rates in the longer term become lower than the stuff in the shorter term, um, it could sh point that we're going to have a recessionary event. Now, one of the reasons we're seeing a lot of writing about it, that the start of the pandemic some two years ago, we saw an inverted yield curve. But that was something that was different because it wasn't a normal marketplace. Um, it's, a, it's what occurred as a result of shutting down from the pandemic in a marketplace. And so everybody says, do we have a recession coming? So we look at the yield curves as of now. We're watching what's called the 10-year uh, the and the 3-month yield curve. So the 3-month should be lower than the 10-month, the, sorry, the 10-year, which it is. Um, and it has been uh, steepening that the 10-month is, I'm sorry, is, is going up and the, the short-term is still okay. And so they're watching, saying, well, the Federal Reserve continues to keep, keep increasing interest rates. Is the yield curve going to invert, which means the three-month is higher than the 10-year? Um, will that show us that we have a recessionary period of time coming? And so we have an article about this. So that's one thing to keep in the back of your head and think about. But at this particular point in time, we don't have any, um, but certainly something that's been watching. So the other part in here that they allude to, which is another article, and I just tried to find it in a break and I couldn't pop it up, so I can't cite it, folks, but um, it'll be up there, is what's, where's money flowing to and going from? So largely since the beginning of the year, anything that was overly priced and tech-heavy has is, is really been taken on the chin or really uh, kind of got a hit, though a number of these things are recovering back up again and jumping up from their lows, Apple being one. Um, so what do we do then with our money and where's the money flowing to? And the money tends to flow, as we see happening during uncertain times, going to your big blue chip 
Dow bellwether type of stocks in which they call the defensive stocks. Again, not defense as in Northrop Grumman, not but defensive as in stocks that can still be here for the products and services we like if we have a recessionary event. Procter & Gamble, uh, General Electric, yeah, maybe. Pick the names. Um, yeah. All the stuff Campbell we use. Soup. Fruit of the Loom. Yeah. Yeah. We, uh, all, yeah, we always have to Guys got to have Fruit of the what, Loom. Don't they always say that uh, that's, a, that's the sign that the economy is recovering when people go out to buy new underwear and socks? Oh, yeah. yeah pretty that's sure. Sign to watch. Yeah. <laughs> so so in that, um, we're seeing a migration of stocks starting to go to that direction. So you know, one of the things that's out there, and this is the Merle Kelt sniff test that you want to make sure you're doing, is make sure you have a portfolio that's diversified right now. If you have things really narrowly focused, which tends to happen when you see the, the rising tide lifting all the stocks that we've seen happen over the last couple of years, you tend to see portfolios that are narrowly focused. For example, well, geez, um, the, the tech sector's been great, so then a person only buys tech sector stuff, and they have all the tech sector. Well, that's the stuff that's really kind of come down the last few months here. Um, so you want to make sure you're diversified, or we'll see some people that will only be inside of one type of a mutual fund, and they got to get spread out well, for others. So mo- most people have most of their investments in their 401k, I would imagine. Um, and that usually is pretty diversified, right? I mean, for the most part? Oh, boy, Tom, I'd like to say you're right, but no. No? Um, what tends to happen in 401ks is people will do the 401ks on their own rather than having a financial professional help them because they're in charge of it on their own, and it's usually the, the big eating part. or the You mean choi- choosing how to split it up, choosing how, to, how the pie gets split up, yeah. And, and guess how people tend to choose them? Uh, what did well last year. Yeah. And so then as a result of that, <clears throat> we're seeing a lot of people this year choosing stuff that is stuff, choosing their investments based on what did well the last few years, which are all the tech-heavy stuff, and they're kind of taking it on the chin a little bit this year. And I think one of the best things a person can do is if you're working with a financial advisor, take your 401k and say, can you help me with this and get it diversified? Well, now would be uh, the time, you're right? Not, you're you're, you're going to be getting your quarterly statement here in just a little while. Yeah. yeah. So, so now's the time to do it. And if you're not working with somebody, find somebody and ask them those questions. It's, 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 now's the time that that stuff matters. I'll bring mine in next week, actually. You got it. <laughs> so the rising tide lifts all boats, which we saw happen the last two years. So as they say, when the tide goes out, Mrs. Warren Buffett, you find out who's swimming naked. Um, and this is one of those things, and you want to make sure you have a bathing suit on. And working with a financial professional can help give you that bathing suit so you're not sitting there naked somewhere along the way. That so you've used next, that you've used that analogy a lot over the years. You but realize. you know what? It works. <laughs> <laughs> and that you remember that means that it still works. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So so with that being the case, you know, chat with somebody, now's the time to take a look at the portfolio for diversification. Our concentration in our office over the course of the next several months is as we do client reviews, we're gonna make sure that we have the diversification quite right and make sure the mix is right and we're uh, taking advantage of, of diversification in our portfolio. We're about three weeks out from tax day, so what should folks be looking at if they haven't taken care of their taxes already? Uh, what are some things that they need to be looking at from an investment standpoint? Because, let's face it, most of the things you talk about over the course of our programs is not only earnings, but it's also keeping it tax, yeah, avoiding, uh, or just pay, paying as little tax as the law allows. Let's put it that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what are some things that people should look at at this point? A lot of capital gains this past year. So capital gain distributions come inside of mutual funds, whether you bought or sold the mutual fund. Inside of a mutual fund, that manager, uh, the mutual fund unit you own, bought and sold XYZ and ABC stock. And so if they bought it at 10 and sold it at 20, which, by the way, we want them to do that, uh, but the capital gains tax on selling it from 10 to $20, that gain on that 10 bucks profit, um, passes all to us. And because the markets have been so robust over the course of the last two years, there's a lot of capital gain distribution that's come off to us as individuals that we have to pay taxes on. 
If it's an IRA, doesn't matter. Don't worry about it. But if it's for a non-IRA, it could cause a couple of issues inside of your household. One is you might have to come up with some cash to pay the tax. Secondly is if you're on the Affordable Health Care Act and your, ins- and your insurance insurance is reduced um, because of your income staying below a, a certain threshold, that might have been enough to jump you over the top. So if you have a lot of capital gain distributions that are out there, the chat with somebody about saying, well, can we get similar types of rates of return, um, but by using portfolios that are more tax efficient, and that would really be the case to, to ask those questions. Can you move that capital gains revenue into a spot without paying any tax on it this year? Well, you can reduce the taxes, and it's already too late. You're already going to pay the taxes on what you've done, so that's not going to change. Um, but the difference is what you want to do in the next two, three, five years going forward. Um, if we have continue to have big capital gain distributions, um, is there a mutual fund that's similar to what you have that pays historically less tax on the inside? And so those are some of the things you may want to have a chat with, with your financial professional um, about that because you want to make that a little bit more efficient if we can. Um, some people say, well, can we just simply shift it away from mutual funds and put it in other areas altogether um, and help rid ourselves or reduce ourselves in some of the capital gain taxes? And the answer is yes. So all of that, of course, has a positive and a negative. Uh, the key would be to say which is going to be the best for you based upon your scenario, situation, taxes, et cetera, et cetera. So we'll be looking a lot at that stuff this year um, simply because of, of you know what we expect. We don't expect to have 10 and 20% rates of returns like we did the last two years in the next few years. So we want to make sure we're prepared to get the best out of what we can. All right, 715-845-2155, the number to call. We need to take a break here. We'll come back with more. If you have a question for G, the National Federation of the Blind, live the life you want. And we're back here in the studio. I'm Tom King along with Merle Kelch, Kelch and Associates in Wausau. Phone lines are open, 715-845-2155. You know, Tom, just during a break, it popped up an article I haven't seen in a long time as far as the, the term goes. And uh, um, and it's a, it's a it's an article. I know we got a uh, thing coming up. I'll give you the, the, the name of the article, folks. It's an opinion piece. Um, but it's really good, and it talks about hurting. So it's the, the opinion piece is the wisdom of crowds can cost you dearly when the stock market is in turmoil. It's an article about Scott Nations, and if we have some time, we'll chat a little bit about hurting. And uh, let's go to the phone. All right, let's go to the phone right now, though. Good morning. Who are we talking Hello? to? Yeah, go, good morning. Oh, go ahead. You're Brian. on. Go ahead. Hi. Hi, it's Brian. Um, I got a question uh, concerning traditional IRAs. I understand that uh, you can't uh, uh, take a withdrawal from an IRA or a distribution without uh, – taxes incurring on anybody, whoever it is that takes it out, whether it's a beneficiary or the owner of it. And uh, But now I see something that uh, for giving to charity that you can uh, give from an IRA right to a charity mm-hmm. uh, up to 100000 a year, and uh, it's not taxable. And I'm wondering that I can't seem to find out, does that start at 70 and a half when you got to have them require distributions, or can you do that sooner? I believe you can do it sooner, as long as it's the distribution that comes out. I believe you can do them sooner. Um, please do yourself a favor and get a hold of your tax preparer in that little bit, because they're going to have that information readily at okay. hand. Um, it was rumored it was going to go away, and it didn't go away. <clears throat> Even this past year, right, we had to go back and, and relook at it ourselves and make sure we could still do that. So, uh, But tax re- chat with your tax preparer. I don't think it's a 70-and-a-half rule. I think you can do it at any point in time. As long as money leaves that IRA and goes to a charity, um, you can bypass the tax on it. Okay, do you know, is that for both state and federal? Um, federal. Just federal? As as I know you still have to pay the state. Okay. If I'm wrong, that's even better. <laughs> <laughs> All right, thanks for the call. Appreciate it. 715-845-2155, the number to call. 
All right. So in herding here, folks, and Brian, thank you so much for your call. Herding, H H E R D I N G, or or hurting. Herding, H E R D. Like follow the herd. Animals. Yeah. Like we had animals. By the way, folks, I was just telling Tom. Some friends of mine were hunting some Cape buffalo, and they got mad at them, and they chased them up trees. The Cape buff- the, uh, yeah. A herd of Cape buffalo chased you up a tree. Well, not me. I'm not going <laughs> up a tree. I, I sat back and protected the truck. So, um, Well, anyway, in here, herding. Um, so typically as you, know, you follow the crowd where the crowd is going to go, and so, so many times you follow the crowd, um, and if you're the last one in, you're the one who gets stuck. We can look at it at you know, cryptocurrency running it up to you know, Bitcoin up into the 60,000 market. Now it's at 40. Um, we can look at it and uh, people speculating on homes. We can look at it people when they're going with GameStop and AMC and running that stock up with it worth of value and running it up. And so that herding mentality we actually have to watch because a lot of times if we follow the herd, we end up getting stuck somewhere along the way. Um, we have to kind of forge our own thought. And inside of this article, they talked uh, briefly about um, when Asia was having some problems in the, in the late 90s. Um, and so people ran out, but the people who stayed in and said, well, okay, um, Asia's not wrong as far as the collective group. Some parts of it might be wrong and not being right, but other areas are good. So let's go ahead and buy back in and being contrarian um, in how you purchase. And that was one of the big lessons of Peter Lynch from Fidelity over the years, as well as Warren Buffett. And so um, in times like we're having right now, watch out for the herding. Um, you're going to have people saying only buy these types of stocks or these types of funds. Um, other people can say only buy these types and, and just don't fall into that. Do your homework. Listen to stuff. You know, do some reading. Um, ask questions of financial professionals as far as, you know, where should I go for, with what's what? right for me, not with what's generally out there in the article is, is uh, what I learned. You know, obviously the old line is buy low, sell high. So you're out there, you're out there looking for bargains. You want to buy low. What happens if all of the stocks that are under pressure and are, are falling in price are all in one sector? Do you still load up on those and take advantage of that buying opportunity or do you still do the, you know, spread out your money uh, in all sectors. You still have to diversify in, in sectors. But you just want to make sure you're hopefully in the ones that are doing the best and you're buying the best quality in that sector. Yeah, let me give an example. Two years ago, folks, when you know we're, we're shutting everything down as far as our economy goes because of the pandemic, um, you know, we're not buying or we're not buying any oil and gas anymore because we're not driving any place. And so we're seeing the oil and gas companies just falling like a rock. And as a result of that, uh, some clients of mine came up and said, well, Merle, what do you think about buying some oil and gas? And so, uh, and, and folks, I'm not the smartest guy out there. And, and so a lot of great ideas that I come from clients saying, what do you think about this? And we have a discussion back and forth. I could admit that that's the case. So we talked back and forth and I said, you know, I really like your idea. Oil and gas has just went down and plummeted. So we went through, so I went back into what I do in my world as I went through, did the analysis and looked at it. And we chose a couple of stocks that were out there that were the best as far as quality um, uh, in their balance sheet, you know, did they have the most money? Could they withstand the storm? Are they going to make it through? Do they have enough reserves to be able to fire it back up? And we bought those stocks, and and, and they've they've paid us back in, in multiples. It was just a, a great move once you do so. So the contrarian thing was, or the herd mentality was to get out of oil and gas because nobody's buying oil and gas. Let's get out before it drops. Uh, the contrarian and the other person said, well, let's go in and find the best deals that we can in those sectors, and it's paid off beautifully. It truly has. All right, let's take one more call here before we finish up. Good morning. Who are we talking to? My name's Bill. Hey, Bill, you're on with Merle. Go ahead. Just kind of a different question, I guess. But what, what is your opinion on a, a stock that was uh, you know, has been around for many, many years? In this case, it's going to be General Electric, where it was a good, good dividend-paying stock. Everybody was going to keep it for the future, and all of a sudden, it just died. Yeah. yeah. What what 
Is there any kind of a background that says, okay, this company has done this for a reason, purposely reduced the, their value and maybe come back later and rebuy, buy the stocks back? What do you think about that kind of a scenario? Bill, GE has been the bane of my existence <laughs> for a long time. <laughs> okay. Um, and I thought it was mine, too, as a matter of fact. Um, you know, GE was a mutual fund in a stock. I mean, they had 46, I think it was, identifiable business units on the inside. The thing that killed them was their financial arm. So the financial arm, they got stuck in all the problems that happened in 2008. Um, so they had different manufacturing groups that weren't doing properly. And the best thing they said they could have with GZ is they break it up is they break it up in different pieces and parts. And that's been happening over the course of the last couple of years. Um, I've essentially have stayed away from them for a bit just because, you know, uh, we've got beat up so bad with that stock and it doesn't perform the way it's supposed to. So I haven't dug into it. The only thing I can say is see what's left. See what business units are doing well. I know that GE Health has been doing exceptionally well. Its aerospace was doing really, really well. Some of its manufacturing, but other areas were just stinking. And until they spun them off and they got the unprofitable parts that were sucking the profit away from others, I didn't think the stock was going anyplace. I mean, heck, I remember when the stock was trading at near book value for a fire sale, but nobody had enough money to buy them because they were so big. So okay. it was a stock that was just going crazy. So my suggestion would be, and I haven't done it in a while, is to you know just pull up the different sections of GE and see where it's making some money. Good place to start would be, and that would be like a a value line or a morning star and pulling up their opinions and analysis because they're going to be able to break it up into the different subgroups and the business sectors within the stock. Boy, it's a stock I've, I've loved for a great time. I've hated for a whole bunch of times um, <laughs> all at the same time. So all right, again, all right. the bane of my existence. All right. Thanks for the call. Appreciate it. Thanks, Bill. Hey, we're out of time for today. If folks want to get a hold of you on Monday and you've made a lot of suggestions for people to come in and have you look at their stuff, uh, how do they do, go about doing that? You know, folks, you can certainly stop in at the office, 3rd Avenue Bridge Street at any time. Um, you'll usually catch me running around like a chicken with my head cut off if you stop in for a cup of coffee, but we welcome you. Come on in. Um, if you have questions about something specific, give our offices a call. Um, our office is located on 3rd Avenue Bridge Street. Give us a call locally, 715-849-3600, or outside of the Wausau area and toll-free, uh, 855-366. I'm sorry, I got that wrong, 866-355-5100. There uh, we go, or uh, find us online at Kelch Associates. All right, just a little dyslexia working this morning with those oh, numbers. Still, yeah. It's, yeah, still a little bit of lag, but we're getting a lot better. All right, thanks a lot. We'll talk to you next week. All right, brother, see you Merle, next week. Merle Kelch, Kelch and Associates here in Wausau. We've got the news on the way. The Polka Show is coming up as well right here on WSAU. One in five of us is bullied. One in three of us is overweight or obese.